Paradigm Bears fans, welcome into another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Our Thursday episode with Courtney Cronin, I on the enemy. We will have a guest from the Locked On Saints coming in. Can't wait to see uh, Ross Jackson joining us as well. But as always, hit that like button, subscribe to the page. Let's jump into the show because we want to get some Bears talk in here early because Montez Sweat is in the building. And Courtney, I have to start here. Uh, it, did he look as large in person <laughs> as he did behind the podium? Like, what was going on with the Mike situation there? Where he, he looked like he was seven feet tall yesterday over on uh, YouTube. I mean, he definitely, he's huge. Like, I remember when, it's so like, he he came to Mississippi State like a year or two after I left covering. Um, I was in Mississippi for three years, so it was like we didn't overlap at all. But I remember, like, hearing about, okay, like, this is – you know, a defense that had Jeffrey Simmons, that had Montez Sweat. Like, they were just, like, just a bunch of, like, dudes up front, first-round yeah. picks. And he's – I remember, like, looking him up and, like, the first – like, just, like, who is this guy? And he was a monster then. He's a monster, like, in a, just a mammoth of an individual now. I think he's, like, 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. Um, he looked every bit of that yesterday. <laughs> and it's – it's truly sometimes like when you see that size in person and granted like the podium, the difference between where we're sitting and where he's standing, like there's, there's a raised, like a, a riser that like the podium's on. So it's kind of like they're towering over you a little bit, but um, like then watching him like stand up and, you know, move around and we'll get to see him in locker room today. You know, he definitely will look bigger than some of the guys that they have. And, you know, they've got some big dudes on that defensive line. I mean, when you look at like Jervon Dexter, and Zach Pickens, and even, like, you know, Demarcus Walker's a pretty big guy, too. But, like, yeah. you know, I think that Montez Sweat is going to come in here and be the biggest of everybody, uh, at least the guys that we're expecting, you know, to play a lot of snaps against the Saints, and that's going to be interesting. He said that he believed he would be ready to go on Sunday. I know that that's four days from now. He just yeah. passed his physical, just got into the building yesterday. Today will be, we think, the first day he practices, but... I was a little surprised when he's like, I, you know, saying like he, he thinks he'd be ready to go and flu said we're going to ramp him up, get him out there, get him a jersey ASAP. So it yeah. sounds like they're expecting him to play against New Orleans. And I guess you just simplify a rush plan for him and have, you know, <laughs> a pretty, a pretty basic approach for somebody, I would assume. I mean, but he's a very talented player. He's Pro Bowl talent. He, yeah. You know, had six, you know, five and a half, five sacks each of the last five seasons. Um, and obviously he's got six and a half right now. Five and a half sacks each of the last, he's like one of six players to do that. And yeah, obviously yeah. he's had more than that. But it's, you know, it's it's certainly an addition that, um, you know, creates a lot of wide eyes around here just because of like the impact for now, but also that for later and what Ryan Poles was saying that, you know, they're going to try to get him signed to an extension. You typically don't hear general managers you know, reveal some of the plans contractually of what they're trying to do. And usually they'll say that if something's really close to getting right. done, but it's to my understanding, they have not even started uh, in on those contract negotiations just yet, but very, very clearly some optimism, at least in the general manager, even though that Montez sweat kind of said, you know, pump the brakes. I'm not, you know, I got to fact consider all these factors first before I would make a decision. So we'll see how that one plays out. It was weird because I did hear him say kind of, you know, like, all right, hold on. There's a lot of things I got to consider. But then I also, right, like right before that or right after that, maybe it was, he was like, yeah, my agent's handling all that. And I think they're pretty good right now. So I was like, all right, so is the contract getting done? Is it not getting done? What's going on here? I mean, like, but um, 
Outside of that, though, Montez Sweat being here, he's talking about he expects to play on Sunday. I'm all excited about that. But we talked about this being a test for Matt Eberflus. And Mm -hmm. I thought yesterday Ryan Poles gave a huge vote of confidence in Matt Eberflus. A vote of confidence to Courtney, I'm not going to lie. I just don't have. Right, but I'm not the general manager of the Bears. No matter how much people say in the comments, I look like them. I see your comments. Y'all got to stop that. But uh, don't laugh, Courtney. The, the, the laugh is crazy. That's even worse. That, that confirms it. I don't need that right now. But no. Um, what did you think about Ryan Poles kind of coming out yesterday and saying that he still believes in flu, still believes what we're building here, still believes in the culture that we're building here, including uh, when when you guys were asking him, all right, what the heck's going on? Two coaches fired in six weeks. What's up with the culture? And he's like, ah, we're good. <laughs> I I think I'm in like the minority on how I viewed those comments because there were a lot of people who believe that like this coaching staff is not going to be here next year and doesn't yeah. don't have faith in this coaching staff and are hoping for a new coaching staff if they bring in a new quarterback, which feels inevitable. But um, I did not read it that way. I don't know what else Ryan Poles was supposed to say other than what he did, which right. is it, the, this is like textbook – this is what you do at the halfway point of the season, any point of the season. Like, what good would it do for Ryan Poles to throw Matt Eberflus under the bus? Even if, you know, and even if he believes everything that he said yesterday, he does himself no service by going out there and being like, yeah, we really need to clean up things in the coaching staff. Man, they've really dropped the ball. <laughs> Two coaches gone in nine weeks. Like, yeah. that doesn't do him, it doesn't help him. So I, I think that it was a comment that, of course, Sounds very over the top and very much like a massive vote of confidence that, you know, leads you to believe that that's how Poles thinks, you know, that's what Poles thinks of his head coach. It's what he thinks like long-term. Um, I didn't see it that way. I think that this is just a, a way to answer a question about like, is Matt Eberflus the right, do you still think he's the right fl- guy for the job? If he says no or anything right. other than yeah, what yeah. he says that creates another massive story when this franchise absolutely does not need to be dealing with another fire that they have to put out it would it would you're already two and six you're dealing with a ton of adversity on and off the field why would you willingly put your put another fire and throw more gasoline onto the flame to create something bigger like i just i think that people need to take a step back and think about the pc nature of these press conferences where you never yeah. I mean, you can read between the lines on a lot of things, but you're never going to get somebody to tell you like what they really feel, especially during a tumultuous time like this when they're in front of a microphone. I just don't, I don't think that that's a realistic thing. I mean, hell, even you know, even yesterday, I felt like what Matt Eberflus said, like our culture is awesome. I don't even know if he believes that, to be quite honest with you. Like, I just think he was saying what he had to say in that moment, because to, to for in his mind to defend his plan to defend what's going on. Otherwise the culpability looks like, man, you have no clue what the hell's going on inside your building. Like who are these people you hired? Like all of those things. So while I understand what the concern, like of the, of the comments that you got from the general manager and from the head coach, I think that you, if we take a step back to like realize why things were being positioned the way that they were, that might give you an answer as to, you know, do they really believe it? Do they really not? But also, like, does it matter in the long term? Like, because just because the, he got a vote of confidence in week nine from the general manager does not mean that everything's going to be smooth sailing for Matt Eberflus the rest of the way and that he's going to be the head coach here next year. Like, they've got to win games. They're 5-20 and 20 
in his tenure. Yep. And the Raiders just fired their whole staff <laughs> after 25 games. Like what 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 on what planet would people think that this staff is completely safe given the circumstances of what you're seeing elsewhere? The funniest thing about that was I thought about last week where um, we we were interviewing with uh, about the Raiders. It was like I don't think I'd ever see uh, the Raiders, you know, make a firing in season. Boom! A week later, these guys are out of here. Let's clear the house. I love it. It was. Uh, I mean, for the the way that they did that too, in like the middle of the night, and you know, they don't do anything at the trade deadline. I don't know yeah. if it sparked. You would think that like they weren't told like no stand pat because like we're not going to have the people make decisions to go trade Devonte Adams or trade Hunter Renfro or do anything um, if you know if those people are going to be here in twenty four yeah. hours. <laughs> it, yeah. God, like what a the fallout from that is it's it's crazy because like you look at the Bears too like there was you know the Raiders dumpster fire and firestorm whatever you want to call it yesterday and then the Bears were like hold my beer with like the firing <laughs> of David Walker and then you know I was kind of surprised Jalen Johnson got up there to talk yesterday I mean that was so there was no practice there was just a closed walkthrough so no open locker room right so I was a little surprised that they let him go up there and they trotted him out I don't you know certainly with the contract situation and the where things stand like his comments I don't think we're inflammatory by any stretch or like damning on the franchise. I think he was very honest, which I appreciated, but I almost wonder if that was a diversion tactic that the team used uh, to be able to like steer everybody away. Like, go, oh, look at that, like sort of thing. Yeah. Um, like, look at the shiny object over there. Let's distract you from what's going on here Smart. with another coach being, you know, out of a job, leaving the team by week nine. I mean, that's a pretty... I can't outside of the Miami Dolphins then in like 2017, 2016, I don't, I don't think I can remember another time where that's happened. And um, it's, it's certainly, I don't know. There's more there. And I just think that like yesterday, like the diversion tactics of, you know, Jalen Johnson talking Montez sweat. I mean, it was just kind of a lot at once. I mean, did you Tyson Bajan also talked yesterday, <laughs> which is kind of like the big day, you know, quarterback talk yeah. on Wednesday and, you know, buried it. <laughs> the guy's going to get ready for his third NFL start. He came back down to reality after the, the bad chargers loss. And that's like the fifth storyline. Yeah. Like kind of, it's just kind of been par for the course here with this team where there's so much all at once. That's a hundred percent been the, the theme of this season, right? Like it's just been constantly, One you've thing got this thing that you think is a major storyline. And then by the time you get to the day, it's like, Oh, it's not that important because we're firing coaches. We've got players doing this. We got this going on. Like they got to figure out something there. I don't care what either polls or flu says there's a problem with the culture in the building, but you mentioned uh polls comments on uh Jalen Johnson about uh you know he says he wants him back. When I heard that yesterday, I had an instant flashback to Roquan Smith when he mm -hmm. said, I want a player on my team that is Roquan Smith. <laughs> and I was just like, You want him, but you want him at your number. Where do we think we are with the Jalen Johnson situation after his comments yesterday? Does it just seem like this relationship is now we're going to play this out and both sides are going to do what's best for them, which in the Bears case might be throwing a tag on Jalen and trying to move him after that. Can you imagine like to, to tag him after all of this oh my um, goodness. at some point too, like you, you can't. You can't, you can run, you run the risk of like really alienating a guy after clearly he does not feel he was, 
you know, respected through this process. He kept saying right. he wants security and he respect. And Ryan Pohl's telling us that he they had a great meeting in Los Angeles with his representatives and they felt they were close. And then all of a sudden he comes back and the representation for Jalen Johnson requests a trade Monday after the team gets back from Los Angeles. And he's like, all right, well, go, you know, respect to you, go do that. And they didn't find anything like because Ryan Poles let us know that he felt that if he was going to get rid of a Jalen Johnson via trade, he wants to go hit on another Jalen Johnson in the draft, which is a late first to early second round pick just where Jalen Johnson was drafted in 2020 in the second round. So um, you could tell the frustration from Jalen, but I think you can also look at this situation and realize that he does himself no, no service at all. It's not a benefit to him to not test free agency. And he's excited about it because then you can actually gauge where your market is based on what teams feel about you without having to give up a draft pick to go get you. So I do not anticipate him just signing whatever the bears are willing to offer him at the end of the season, the beginning of, you know, next year, he's going to be testing the market because that's what you do. That's why you play this game to be able to hit free agency because you only get so many cracks at it. If you're one of the like better corners, better players in the NFL and, you know, he would be wise to do that. And very clearly, he's not just taking anything that the Bears are offering. But what the one interesting point, because I know, I know we got to, you know, switch gears and, and talk Saints here. Ryan Poles said the best and final has not been on the table. Usually, you know, if I'm the agent for Jalen Johnson, I'm saying, oh, really? Wait, the best and final, your best and final is not out there. So you're going to yeah. keep pushing the envelope. You're going to keep coming back to the table to negotiate. And that, Maybe that's something he wishes he wouldn't have said in the in, in like to like a public facing audience. But um, I think that that's something that Jalen Johnson's side could even use for their own negotiations going forward. I think that could be a tactic to get him back to the table, though. Which may, which when I heard that, it tells me okay, maybe he does. Maybe this isn't Roquan. You know, like we want you, but we're only going to take you at our number. Maybe mm-hmm. this is a situation where he's like, I want to have Jalen Johnson here. We got to get back to the table. We have to discuss this. We've got more room to go. You know what I mean? So we'll see kind of where that all ends up. I mean, the good thing is he's still on the team right now and a defense that needs it going up against a very, very – a Saints team that's just moving in the right direction all of a sudden. And uh, Derek Carr kind of uh, going out there and making some things happen. Not the same direction the Bears are going, at least. I'll say that much. Uh, we want to welcome into the show Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints, part of the Locked On Podcast Mm -hmm. Network. Ross, what's happening, my guy? What's good, y'all? Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here and to uh, chop it up with you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Of course. Ross, so listen, with this Saints team uh, right now, I mean, it seems like things are starting to turn around, very up and down start to the season, which I feel like was literally uh, most of the NFL here, heading a very different (laughs) direction uh, what do you think this Saints team is uh, doing to start moving in the right direction? What has changed with this team? Yeah, I mean, you look at this Indianapolis Colts win that they had just last weekend, and the big thing was situational football. They were 50% on third downs. They were three of four in the red zone. You could technically call it four of five because Taysom Hill had a 20-yard run from the 20 as opposed to within <laughs> the 20, you know what I mean? Uh, but I think that was the big thing. I mean, this this is a Saints team that's put up – 
at least uh, 300 yards over the course of the past three games on offense, but hasn't been able to punch it in. So they've moved the ball really well between the 20s. But then once that field shrinks, and this has been an issue across the NFL uh, really, you know, it, this is this is something that is always kind of a, a challenge for NFL offenses, but particularly this year where we're kind of seeing offenses struggle maybe a little bit more than we're used to. Red zone offense has been a big part of it, and the Saints either have like a big mirage in terms of what happened last week, or they've curved a little bit and figured something out. And I think they might have figured something out just based upon what the play calling looked like in the red zone in this past game versus what it's looked like throughout the season. I think that's kind of the biggest shift for this offense that we saw last week. All right, let's talk about Derek Carr because there's Mm -hmm. a lot big picture stuff there. And there's also like the micro and just from watching these games this season, and seeing how not on the same page consistently he's been with his mm-hmm. receivers. Like, does it feel at times like OTAs out there still where this conversation of God, they got to get on the same page. His quarterback just got here. Like Chris Olave is getting balls hit, like a football hitting him in the helmet. And, you know, he's talking about, oh, I just need one big game to get back on track. Like mm-hmm. what is going on with Derek Carr not being on the same page and it's not seamless with any of the guys that are catching passes from him. Yeah, it's been a consistent issue all season and we've seen, I hope the absolute worst of it at this point. I hope for them, the absolute worst of it because it has been the, it's been the focus of all of us that are covering the team and watching it. And of course it's, it's gone, you know, national into coverage as well. And, and, and rightfully so there, there's no excuse for it. I mean, the, the new Orleans saints are a team that have a ton of talent on their team, particularly over on their offense. The defense is what keeps things from feeling like OTAs sometimes. And then Alvin Kamara, right. But outside of that, the pass catchers and things like that, sort of the, the rhythm that we've seen them not have uh, in, the, in a city of music, of all things, uh, yeah. has been something that's drawn a lot of attention. And it has become the kind of uh, the focal point for a lot of us mm-hmm. as recovering these games. And so you're looking to see if maybe that starts to curve. I think that the Saints did a good job of that last week. And I think what they did and what has caused a lot of trouble is that the, the Saints – their their offensive playbook is wild. It is it is thick with many 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 C's, and I think a big part of what what comes with that is the fact that this offense has so many different personnel groups that they roll out. You can run the same play from several different personnel groups, so it's very different from let's say like a a Los Angeles Rams offense where you see kind of a personnel group, maybe a couple of different personnel groups, and then they kind of all know what's going on. So what the Saints did last week is that they kind of cold the play call selection for certain situations. So instead of having, let's say, 50 plays that they like for every first and 10, maybe instead it's 25 plays. Instead of having, you know, uh, 12 plays that they really like in a goal line situation, maybe it's four plays, five plays, whatever that might be. I'm just using those numbers as examples, but just, just to kind of give an idea of what they've done. And I think that that went really, really well for them. It's kind of like going to a restaurant and they have seafood and hamburgers and this cuisine and that cuisine. And you're like, there ain't no way y'all doing all this right. No <laughs> shot. And, but then you go to a place that's got five entrees and you're like, bet, I will try all five. And I think that that's where the Saints have finally gotten to by culling that play selection. Saints are finally taking the Gordon Ramsay approach, right? Like you can't, yes, exactly you can't have, right. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way you make euros and tacos. Like there's no yeah. way I got to see it. Uh, yeah, it was what, kitchen me, nightmares, but it was it was playbook <laughs> nightmares, you know. Well, well wait, I, mean, I want to ask about ahead, that ahead, though, because mm-hmm. like Pete Carmichael, we it seems like you know there's a lot of issues on this offense. I get it. Mm-hmm. Like in play calling is one that if you're if you watch the thing from like week one to week nine as we're mm-hmm. entering into this Bears game, right. um, 
like it's been so all over the place. If you had to like give me like a pie chart of like the the percentages of where the blame goes, whether it's Derek Carr not oh, being on the same page yeah. with his receivers, whether it's the offensive line seeming to be this revolving door, or whether it's play calling, you know, to the point of red zone and all the other stuff you just mentioned, like where yeah. does that fall into it? Yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to have to cop out on your answer a little bit, but I'm going to do my best to give you that pie chart. I'm going to respect the 33.3% for all of it. <laughs> right, right. Well, the, the issue, the problem is that like there are consistent things. So what I will give the largest weight, and I'm not going to try to do math on this show. There's no shot that you're going to get me to actually calculate 100% with the number of things that have been wrong for this New Orleans State's offense. So what I will say is that the weight of it goes to execution and communication. I think that those are the two biggest things. And that communication goes from play call that a quarterback from quarterback to the rest of the offense from offense to one another from receivers to one another even beyond just the miscommunication between Derek Carr and pass catchers we've also seen players running routes into the exact same areas of the field and, and things like that so that communication kind of goes I have seen that too just throw oh my out goodness there. oh yeah, yeah I wonder I wonder yeah ours it, was in our playbook though I'm guaranteed <laughs> I guarantee they coached them to do that so I think that like there's a little bit of that so I would give the larger part of that there and then so that is a little bit of play calling it's a little bit of everything but then there's these moving targets too and it has been a lot of what is what has kind of put this new Orleans saints team in bad positions have been things like third and long situations right one of the reasons why they struggle so much in situational football is is that third and long caveat or or, or system that they're or situation that they're consistently facing and yeah. so you know they'll have an incomplete pass on first and ten they'll run the ball on second and ten which is like at best going to give you a third and seven in most cases. And then that's the situation then that they're stuck with as a team that has consistently been poor on third downs. And so there's that part. And then there's the times where they do get into the third and three, third and two, but then have a false start. And all of a sudden that turns into a third and seven, third and eight. So it's been a little bit of like the self-inflicted wounds as well that have caused them some issues. So it really is the moving target that has created some issues. There is the execution, there's the offensive line play, and then there's the communication issues. So I would kind of group all of those things together as being the, the overall situation that the Saints are trying to manage and overcome. They did a good job of it next week or last week, excuse me, mm -hmm. but can they continue it moving forward? That's going to be their biggest test. Coming in now, right, uh, Derek Carr going to be going up against now Yannick Ngakwe and Montez Sweat. It seems. Mm -hmm. We believe he's – they're talking like he's going to play. He should, uh, yeah. When, when you see – when you see uh, – we've seen Derek Carr deal with a pass rush. It's not always pretty, right? Like, mm -hmm. we know who Derek Carr is at this point in the NFL. What are the Saints doing kind of to prepare him for what could be coming? And worst-case scenario, right, it's only Yannick Ngakwe and the Bears, same exact pass rush. And, uh, you know, what do, what do you believe that is going to be the best course of action versus a newly a new shiny toy on the Bears defense? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for New Orleans is that what they've done consistently over the course of the season, sometimes because they're forced to, other times because they elect to, is that they've tried different combinations of offensive linemen. And I think they've kind of found the guys that they're most comfortable with Are the Saints in, the in spots. Yeah, I know. It's a, I'm telling you, there's not a lot of different, there's not a lot of differentiating <laughs> factors here, except for maybe the fact that the Saints have wins. maybe a, an easier <laughs> schedule and some wins, right? Uh, and so I, I look at the I look at the offense offensive line now which i believe is it is in its fifth different combination this season in terms of what started what, what that unit looked like going up against the indianapolis colts and that was amongst its its best performances but also the indianapolis colts don't have 
a, a duo of really good pass rushers, right? right? Now, the Saints offensive line held up pretty well in terms of sacks allowed against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But if you dig deeper into the pressures, it was like 20 plus pressures in that game. So that that ends up impacting your offense as well. So I think that going into this game, what you'll see the Saints do is that you'll probably you'll very likely see them settle. I think that what they'll like very much is, of course, having Ryan Ramchek back, their, their stud right tackle, who has been a little bit up and down this season, but a little bit more up here recently. So the trajectory is going in the right way. The left side is the part that they've kind of been toying with a little bit. So will that be Andrus Pete over on uh, at left tackle and then Max Garcia at left guard? They'll find out kind of what they're going to do there. I think that might be what they move forward with again this week. But they are getting James Hurst back, so we might see a new starting left tackle there. If that happens, that'll be yet another offensive line combination for the season. So something to watch out for there. I think that what you're going to have to do is find ways for players out of the backfield to continue to contribute to pass protection. Same thing for the tight ends over on the outside as well. So that might end up taking them out of the passing game a little bit, but if they're able to do some chip and run, chip and release type situations, then that'll be good. But these New Orleans Saints offensive linemen have got to win their one-on-ones, and it just got a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean a lot tougher with Montez Sweat showing up in Chicago. (laughs) All right, I want to ask about the run game because you mentioned Alvin Kamara earlier, and you know since he got into the league in 2017 he's you know consistently been a big producer for this offense now 320 rushing yards you know he's fourth in receiving on this team he's still getting a lot of touches how is his role from the years that you've covered this team how has his role evolved in this offense to now with having pete carmichael you know put him in different situations but also mm-hmm. with some of those issues that the receiving that the receivers are having being able to catch balls from Derek Carr like are they leaning on him more are they putting him in different situations than we saw when he had a different quarterback last year I think he's getting a lot of attention from Derek Carr for sure. Um, I think that he had a game when he came back, it was like 13 catches for just over 30 yards, which is like historically one of the lowest outputs for a guy that gets 13 catches in a game. So it's been a lot. It was a lot of check downs in that case. But we're watching things get a little bit back to what they looked like. I don't want to say 2017, 2018, maybe mm-hmm. 2019, 2020, when it was him and Latavius Murray paired with one another. So he was still, when it was he and Mark Ingram in the boom and zoom age, as we call it here at New Orleans, the 17, 18 seasons, it was a little bit more of Mark Ingram being the lead guy and then Alvin Kamara being the change of pace guy, right? To where they used him a lot in the zone runs, particularly running outside of the tackles, and then of course in the receiving game. Then when Mark Ingram departed, Latavius Murray came in, it became a little bit more weight towards Alvin Kamara being the lead guy, but Latavius Murray still handling a lot of the short yarded situation and still contributing as a pass blocker and as a pass catcher. They kind of evolved that level of his game. Uh, 2011, or excuse me, 2021, 2022, things didn't go great for Alvin Kamara. He was run between the tackles a ton. He was the lead back, which isn't really the game that he's had to play before. It was a lot of get him out in space and let him create with the ball in his hands. What we've seen from New Orleans over the course of the games that Alvin Kamara has been back is that you're seeing a little bit more of that creep back into the game plan. Last week, the Saints scored uh, his first touchdown was on an option route. So he ran from out of the backfield, pushed towards the outside, caught the linebacker in outside leverage, broke back inside. Derek Carr saw the same thing. They connected in the middle of the field. 
Probably could have gotten tackled at the four-yard line, but Alvin Kamara being Alvin Kamara, who just Mm -hmm. always takes glancing blows, never really takes direct hits somehow, ends up finding his way into the end zone. So you're seeing that come back into the game while still utilizing him in between the tackles and trying to get him out in space. So it's looking like a little bit more of a dynamic approach in terms of how it is that they want to utilize him that might be responsive to what the defense is giving. But I do think for New Orleans, one of the things that's going to be very important for them is not just focusing on what the defense is doing, but playing to your standard of how you want to utilize your playmakers that worked very well for new orleans last week they ran 11 plays in the end zone i'm so sorry ran 11 plays in the red zone mm-hmm. 10 of those plays went either to Taysom hill or alvin Kamara. that's the way that they should be utilizing players like alvin Kamara and of course Taysom hill as well when you look at now the the comfortability i should say that the head mm-hmm. coach maybe is able to get now with a couple of wins in his pocket do you feel like things have settled down around dennis allen it, it seems like let's he he had the toughest job in the world. You have to replace an all-time great and beloved head coach that was down there, right? And now it seems like he's kind of got his QB. He's starting to hit his groove. Does it feel like things have calmed down around him uh, where it seems like, okay, he's got a little bit more job security? Because I remember, you know, kind of looking at it early on, and it was like, all right, maybe this isn't the guy. Maybe we do need to make some coaching changes around here. Yeah, I will say that – the win against the Indianapolis Colts was the beginning of that security, but it's not mm. something that's that's set in stone yet. What I will say is that Dennis Allen's first year, he didn't get his quarterback, right? And that tends to buy you a second year as a head coach in the NFL. They went after Deshaun Watson, couldn't get Deshaun Watson, went back to Jameis Winston three games into the season. They turned everything over to, to Andy Dalton. And that was something to where the Saints kind of, you know, didn't, they weren't going to make a decision and say, we're not bringing back Dennis Allen after just one season when, you know, customarily you come in and you're probably getting your quarterback or at least an established quarterback. The Saints not only are trying to replace that head coach, but they're still in the process of trying to replace Drew Brees, the, yeah. the, the, the Hall of Fame quarterback to, or future Hall of Fame quarterback, we assume. And so, I think that that was a big piece of it. So now this year, he gets his quarterback. He gets to rebuild the staff. He did a lot of staff changes, particularly over on the defensive side. A couple of little moves over on the offensive side. Did not replace offensive play caller. I do think that if if you see the, the Saints be who they keep saying that they should be over the course of the remainder of the season, which is an easy schedule. They've got the mm-hmm. Lions and then a bunch of guys after that in terms of, their, of what their schedule is. They have a very easy schedule moving yeah. forward and a, and, and a schedule that should allow them to win games. And so if this if the Saints are able to do that, then I think Dennis Allen's fine in, in terms of going into a third year. The question will be, what other changes does he make? Will we see Pete Carmichael back in 2024, or will they look to try to update this offense and get the offense to be as consistent as the defense has been under Dennis Allen since he arrived and took over as the defensive coordinator? But I do think that the beginning of his security is now, and one of the reasons why these next three or four games are important not only for this season, but seasons moving forward. Yeah, I'll say, listen, you lose to the Bears, security's out the window. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of been the I theme mean, of a lot of teams. Look at the Raiders. Like, yeah, you just fired the whole staff. Exactly. They're Bingo. like, unacceptable. Bingo. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that the Saints would go at, so far as to make changes in season, especially yeah. in this division. Like the NFC South is awful. And yeah. so everything's, you know, they've got the grasp of everything. So the moment that you fire a head coach, fire it off its coordinator or whatever, you're kind of punting the season. There's no record out there outside of maybe the Giants of 2002 who changed play callers from Sean Payton to Jim Fassel, and then they went on to go 7-2 and two after that. There's not a lot of examples of making a big-time change like that and actually getting better throughout the season. You tend to win like 
40 something percent of your games at most right. in that case. Mm-hmm. And so that's not going to help the Saints get into the playoffs at this point, right? So I don't think that they would make that they would go that far. And I understand like the Raiders have struggled for a while here. They benched their quarterback. They, they just cleaned house. They did everything. Uh, but what I will say is that for New Orleans, they, they you're going up against a backup quarterback against the Chicago Bears. You got a backup quarterback or at least a new quarterback that's not the week one starter against the Minnesota Vikings. After that, is Taylor Heineke the starter after the bye week in Atlanta or is it back to Desmond Ritter? In either case, there's enough of a jumble there. It's where two quarterbacks means you don't have one kind of a situation. So you mm-hmm. should win these next three games. And so these three games become really, really important, especially when you're going up against the non-week one starting quarterbacks as a defensive head coach and a guy that's considered to be at the forefront of defensive schemes across the NFL. All right, let's talk about this defense. We know that, as you mentioned at the top of the show, this is what's kept them in games. They're ninth in yards, fifth in points, or might flip that if I'm remembering that incorrectly. But they've been the backbone of this team. And that's, you can understand it, like with Dennis Allen and the influence that he has on this team. And, you know, the numbers that they're putting up with in terms of the pressures and the sacks, they're not like the typical New Orleans Saints defenses that we've been used to the last couple of years, but they're still effective. Yeah. Um, what would like, how would you describe like the identity of what this defense is? Like where's the strength? Is it on the front end? Is it on the is it in the secondary? How have they been able while the offense is still trying to figure out its way? How have they been able to keep this Saints team in games and now to a winning record at least in the temporary? Cam Jordan's going to be really mad at me when I say this, but I think the strength of this defensive this defensive team uh, is in its secondary. Sorry, mm-hmm. Cam. Not, I'm not. I'm not he saying only has that the, one I'm sack saying, this season, and I know I'm, that that's like not indicative of everything. But that, right. like, really, like we look at that, we're like Cam Jordan, this perennial Pro Bowler. Like that seems like that's. Is it fair to call it a down year for him? Have things changed up front? I know with some of the things that happened in free agency. You know what has that done to his role? Got got to see how things pan out for the rest of the season before I would have you know before I would talk about like down year or anything like that because we've seen sort of the slow start for mm-hmm. sack numbers for the New Orleans Saints as a whole on a yep. defense we've seen that and then it tick up toward the back half of the season for whatever reason but I mean look Cam Jordan's had at least seven and a half sacks every year mm-hmm. since 2012 so you know he's he's one of those guys that you know I say sorry Cam because I don't want to I don't want to dismiss what the defensive line is doing and I'm going to give the defensive line its credit but I do think that the strength in this team right now is its secondary because of the fact that they contribute not just as you know not just in coverage but they're a really spectacular perimeter run defense team because of guys like Paul Sinadibo, Marshall Lattimore, Tyron Matthew, all of these guys that can make tackles and play down. And mm-hmm. I think that that is such a big strength for this team that nobody talks about because we don't think of corners. We think of corners as, you know, coverage guys. We don't think about them as being able to come down. It's one of the reasons why, like, you know, you look at this New Orleans Saints team, it's such a big thing that they focus on when they're bringing in defensive backs. They did that with Alante Taylor and then them getting him started in the slot, a guy that they drafted just a couple of years ago. Um, uh, in the uh, coming out, it was actually picked right after Jaquan Brisker, um, and they brought him in as a guy that was a backup, uh, you know, outside guy. Got some opportunities to play during his rookie season, played spectacularly outside, and then they moved him inside, and he's learning the slot position. But one of the reasons why they like him there is because of what he can do as a tackler. So I think that it's just the versatility of the secondary, its ability to either play sides or shadow receivers, its ability to defend the pass, but also defend the run, and even its ability to rush the passer when you look at what they do with some of these uh, safety blitzes and things like that. So I think that because of, and and I think that that is also born from Dennis Allen, secondary coach, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, roots. Joe Woods, who's the Saints defensive coordinator, secondary coach, uh, you know, uh, roots. Uh, Marcus Robertson, 
an all pro safety in the NFL and a spectacular secondary coach. This team went on a run from Aaron Glenn to Chris Richard to Marcus Robertson at secondary coach. Like that is a spot that has always, always been very good for them. And so I would say that the defensive, that the defensive backs are their strength right now, but that front seven has to be able to contribute in order for that defensive backs group to shine. And part of why that defensive back group might be shining is because of the efficiency of what they've been able to do in eliminating the run, even though they give up a lot of yards per, uh, per run in terms of, uh, you know, averages right now, they've done a good job of at least mitigating the run game enough to force opposing teams to pass or force them into third down situations where they have to pass. And of course, getting pressure on the quarterbacks tends to help as well. What's your expectation this Sunday, Ross? I mean, it's it's going to be, you got Tyson Bage and the Bears rolling into town. It, and it should be, in my mind, a Saints win, but I've said that a couple of times on here, and we've we've come out with a Bears win on the other side uh, only a couple of times, though. Uh, <laughs> what's your expectation of what we're going to see on, it's been a long season, Ross. I'm not going to lie to I you. I hear you, bro. It's, it's okay. It's all right, fam. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> what's your expectation of what we're going to see on Sunday here uh, down in NOLA? Yeah, I think for me, I'm looking at the Saints to win this game. Um, I I would take probably Chicago to cover uh, in this one. I think that it's going to be a little, not not super close, but it's going to be closer than I think many people are going to talk about it. I think it's going to be a one-score game, uh, maybe even if that's a one-score and a two-point conversion. So I'll call it like 27 to 20, 28 to 20, maybe with a late score that ends up pushing it to that, however that ends up working out. Uh, I, I could see that being the case in this game. I think the Saints should win this game. For them, it's about playing against their standard versus worrying about playing against the Chicago Bears that worked for them great last week. This is exactly what they should be doing uh, this week. All right. There you have it. Hey, and there you have it. Appreciate you for joining the show, Ross. Appreciate you for coming too. Make sure you guys listen over, listen to Ross over on Locked On Saints. He does an excellent job uh, covering the team. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like a, I always say I'm like a closet Saints fan. Like I, I really was excited. <laughs> I like I liked Lil Wayne, and then I was like, "Oh, the New Orleans Saints are down there it's, as well." Like, oh, that's so it. funny. It, that that you know, is always the entry he's point. A Packers fan, that, right? That's yeah, which is always weird. Point. But yeah, that's I mean, always the entry point. Is like cash money. I'm a Saints fan. Like it's 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 it a beautiful thing. Was. It kind of <laughs> was. But make sure that you guys stay in tune with Ross over there. Appreciate Ross for joining the show. As always, it's your boy Pat the Designer, joined by Courtney Cronin. That's been the eye on the enemy. Ladies and gentlemen, hit that like button, subscribe to the page, leave that five-star review. Y'all know what to do. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Let's see if the Bears go down there and get a win. Debatable. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs>